Hi, I'm Jenny Breckis. Welcome to Off the Dais. This is the Mayor's episode. U.S. Conference of Mayors was held in Reno this past weekend. I'm running for mayor, and I talked to a mayor. The mayor I spoke with is Patrick Boyan of College Park, Maryland, a place I've actually been to. I ran a cross-country race there many years ago as a Villanova Big East um, athlete. And um, I love the concept of town-gown relationships. As a planner, that's always been a subspecialty of held a lot of interest to me, and we had a great conversation in advance of him coming to Reno this weekend and heard a lot about what they're doing in College Park University. In Reno, we thought a lot about how to marry up Reno and the university, bridge that physical divide of the interstate, and uh, good ideas here from a mayor from a college town named after a college, College Park University, Maryland. Here's my conversation with Patrick Wyhan. So my guest today is the mayor of College Park, Maryland, a place I've actually been to, uh, Patrick Wyhan, mayor of uh, College Park, Maryland. Um, thanks for joining me today. And, Good to be uh, here. Yeah, and tell me- Happy to join. Yeah, tell me a little bit about College Park, Maryland. Yeah, so College Park is a city of about 34,000 people located just outside of Washington, D.C. in Prince George's County. We are the home of the flagship campus of the University System of Maryland. Uh, so we have kind of a split personality. We are uh, we have a lot of people who live in the in College Park who uh, commute into Washington, D.C. or work in the D.C. metro. Some, some folks uh, for the federal government or, or all the industry associated with that. And then we have the university and we have a, a significant percentage of our population is University of Maryland students. We also have a lot of faculty and staff that, that work in or that live in the city. And we have a thriving commercial area, thriving uh, innovation district. Uh, we have a, a lot of jobs and a lot of, a lot of our economy is based on uh, the university centered around the university. Great. Yeah. I mean, I think when I was there in the eighties, I ran a cross country race there. So I think oh. I was only on your golf course, okay. but um, you're a true, um, a true college town, but within a metropolitan area, a major metropolitan area influenced by that anchor Metro, I guess you have two, two Metro cities that you associate with Baltimore and. Yeah. The yeah Baltimore and Washington. We're really closer to Washington DC, but but it, it takes about as long as uh, the drive to into the district as it does to, to drive up to Baltimore. Our, we're on the DC, Washington DC metro system, but we also have the MARC rail, the, um, the Maryland uh, 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 transit commuter rail uh, that goes through College Park and will take you all the way up to Baltimore and beyond or down into, into Washington as well. Great, and I noticed, um looking at the College Park website, you have for a 35,000, 34,000 city, you have a large governing body. Hmm. Yeah, well, we've got the, um, uh, you know, myself and uh, a a city council of eight people. Including yourself or? Uh, No, eight council members, uh, not including. Wow, nine, yeah. We're, we're, um, 
that's large for our, you know, standards or Western standards here. Um, you know, we're still in places in county commissions that have three members is common in the West. And you don't really see larger than seven members on um, a lot of our cities here. But you're also a um, manager form of government, correct? Correct. Right. Yeah. And then um, as the mayor, do you vote? Uh, I vote in certain circumstances. I vote when there's a tie. Uh, and um, and that's really the only case. Uh, I do. Um, uh, uh, I do not vote when there's a tie on the budget. Uh, if there if we can't come to an agreement where there's a majority of the council that votes to support to approve the budget, then the budget uh, reverts to the city manager's proposed budget. So that, that that always provides incentive for the council to come together and agree on uh, on uh, on a final budget. Otherwise, if it reverts back to the city manager's proposed budget, then a lot of the council priorities um, may not get in. That's interesting. Is that a Maryland statute, or is that your uh, charter uh, that's just specific to College Park? That's a city charter. That's that's uh, specific to us. Every every uh, every municipal government in Maryland is a little bit different. So. Okay. Yeah, it's always interesting, and we have the same here, and it's typical. But it's always interesting to see the permutations of different powers. And as mayor, you're coming to Reno um, for our U.S. Conference of Mayors here that Reno's hosting very soon, and um, you'll be able to see our university town and how yeah. we. Um, physically um, connect or are separated from our university by um, Interstate 80. Um, yeah. And those phys that, that physicality of your university presence and its you know, associated sphere of housing and business district to other, um, you know, say a downtown is always an interesting um, kind of demarcation. Um, have you and you've been involved at the National League of Cities? Are you on the College Town Gown Association? Have you participated in some of those discussions? Uh, I I have participated some in the International Town Gown Association. I'm on a committee uh, with them right now, looking at issues of diversity and equity. Uh, and um, and yeah, I've been involved with the National League of Cities uh, for a while. I served on their board for five years, and I'm also involved uh, with a lot of what the U.S. Conference of Mayors is doing. That's right. And you were on the League of Cities. You chaired their infrastructure committee, and that's really your background and how we originally connected, correct? Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, your expertise is very interesting to me because you work in a very parallel field to being a mayor. And that's um, something that caught my attention. But first of all, you you did how many terms as a council member before you jumped over to the mayor seat? I did. I did four two-year terms. So oh, you have, you have two-year terms there. That's interesting. Yeah. Is that common yeah. in Maryland? Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, usually amongst smaller communities, we actually we had a referendum in 2019 on extending the term, lengthening the term to four years, and it barely failed. Mm. It, it went down by a vote of I think about 48 to 52. 
Voters want that accountability to check in on these folks every two years, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's still something that we've had discussions about. We last year we had an election and almost nobody was contested. Only two of the four council districts were contested in the mayoral, and I wasn't contested. So, so it raises the question: What's the point of doing this every two years? When, yeah, yeah. When when uh, you when when nobody's even interested in running. But you are uh, so, districted. The, the council members are districted, correct? Yeah. yeah so, right. so tell me about your background on um, infrastructure and multimodalism and how yeah. that influenced you. Um, well, certainly the council work, but then as a mayor and how you bring that that background to um, College Park, which is a place I think that would um, align as a college community with a lot of the work that you do in the in your day job. Yeah, well, first of all, I recognized when I moved to College Park, and my husband and I moved to College Park in 2003, just out of school, and we had one car between the two of us. I didn't have a car at all. My bike was my main mode of transportation, and I uh, recognized that that all, multiple, all other modes of all, alternate modes, non-driving modes of transportation are, are incredibly important to our community. We moved to College Park in part because of the existence of two metro stations that, that uh, uh, are either directly in or border on College Park. Uh, and so I know that the, the and since Metro has come to College Park, it's really changed uh, the, the, um, the population somewhat because we've seen more and more people move to the city who, who don't wanna have to rely on cars, who, who, who appreciate being able to live in walking distance from a metro station. Uh, we also have great trails and we have great biking and walking infrastructure in College Park. And given how congested our road networks are in the DC Metro, uh, there are a lot of people that just don't want to get into their car to, to, to be able to, don't, don't want to have to get into their car to be able to get wherever they need to go, whether it's to their jobs or their, or their, uh, or to go shopping or to, to, uh, to their homes to visit, visit other people. Uh, so, so I really recognize that we, that we need to invest in that and we need to, to, to make sure that people have access to transit, that people have safe places to walk and bike to get around. Uh, we've been working over several decades now within the city to bring the purple line, which is our new commuter rail line uh, that will connect, uh, not commuter rail, I'm sorry, light rail line that will connect between Montgomery and Prince George's County. Um, there's 21 stations in the Purple Line route, and and four of them are in the city of College Park. Uh, of course, we also be the home of the University of Maryland. We uh, we have um, we want to be able to provide um, the students an opportunity to live close to campus, and if they're living close to campus, we want to make it so that they can they can get to campus and get around, get everywhere that they need to go without without driving. So. Uh, so we've been very, very focused too on smart growth and on putting student housing close to close to campus so that uh, that students uh, don't have to drive. Uh, historically, the University of Maryland was a more more of a commuter school, but in recent years, it's become much more of a of a of a of a walking biking uh, school uh, where the students live in College Park, much closer to campus than they historically have. Uh, and in order to enable that, we need to give them safe places, safe ways to get to 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 campus, to class uh, by walking, uh, biking or by transit. Well, you know, you just brought up two things that really interest me. And this is the, the planning geek coming out. And just um, by way, you're an attorney, correct? Um, by training? Yeah. By training. Um, yes. Yeah. But you don't do you practice or what was did no, you have an I, emphasis? 
I, I started after law school, I did legal services for a while, but I was really more interested in policy and how policy works. So after doing legal services for a number of years, I, I, I moved more into doing federal policy. Uh, first, I worked for a, a national organization focused on disability rights. And, and then I transitioned to my current role as director of government relations at Rails to Trails Conservancy, where I put my, my, my personal passion and interest in safe places to walk and bike, as well as what I've learned by being involved in, in local government, focusing on those issues towards national advocacy to create more, more, more places for more safe and healthy places for people to walk and bike all over the country. That's great. That disability rights, um, you know, foundation is so important when you start to think about transportation systems, because when you do for those who the law requires and, and the right thing requires, you do for all, you know, and it's, it's just so important. Um, but one thing you mentioned very interesting to me is that the University of Maryland was a commuter school. Um, and I've always thought that was interesting about that school, because it is you know, to my thinking, the flagship. And I, I did know that it had that reputation. And one thing that's been going on here in Reno, it, and we have a land grant, you know, we're the land grant university. So that comes yeah. with a certain stature. Um, but I've seen um, activities, efforts, initiatives over the last several years um, that are starting to, to produce. And it's almost looked like the University of Nevada Reno is going in that commuter school mindset um, through not planning appropriately not um and and you know unfortunately with the city too not you know really taking that foundation of thinking of the partnership that is needed to build place for both um yeah and for example when you come this weekend you'll see um they're putting up about a 700 800 um parking space garage mm. right <laughs> right yeah at the advent of the old core of the university, um, the footing is very close to the oldest treasured building of the of the of the university. And then um, the other side of it is is our freeway. And you know, to me, that speaks you know desires to um, fit a need, which is of a commuter campus. And there's also been. Um, high density housing demands for students, which is great, you know, and important. Um, but it's also involved land use, um, I guess, recycling from some of the business district, which wasn't, was yeah. never that, that generous to begin with, you know, uh, for a university of the size 22,000, there was never a very generous um, size well-formed business district. And now some of that has been dedicated to high rise housing. So, mm -hmm. um, the university only has one way to go, and that's downtown, which comes with its challenges, but I think is the only future for Reno's downtown. But um, I've tried to explain to the people over the years is like, look, these are starting to look like steps of a commuter college. Do you have an operational definition that you you think made the school a commuter commu commuting college and how what, what ingredients take make a shift to become more of a campus environment? The university historically drew a lot more from the local region in terms of its student population. And, and over the years, as the, the University of Maryland, its, its stature has risen somewhat in the, in the last, I'd say, 20 years or so, which joined the Big Ten, uh, which, which increased its, uh, its, its resources available for research, its endowment, uh, and um, 
also it's a uh, sporting stature <laughs> and then football and basketball, which is another, another story altogether. But, uh, but they, um, but it, but it, it, but it's attracted more applicants from all over the country. Um, that, that has some equity implications that, that, um, that um, have been challenging for the university to address. Um, uh, uh, being located in the, in the, in Prince George's County, which is a majority African-American county, majority minority county. Uh, it, uh, um, we've, uh, pushed it to also be focused on recruiting students, the student population from the whole community. But uh, but one thing that means is that, that students that students come from all over the country to go to the University of Maryland, and and uh, we uh, have wanted to give them that 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 has created uh, from when that started that that created a challenge in terms of a housing shortage. When when I first got on the city council in the mid two thousands. There were students who were living in, uh, they had housed them in the common areas, in, in the dorms, they, they put them up in hotel rooms occasionally because there just wasn't enough housing for them. So we, over the past 15 years, I worked on increasing the number of, of beds available, uh, both on campus and off campus for students. Uh, there still seems to be a housing shortage. It seems like the more, the more, uh, housing you build, uh, the more of a demand there there is. So there is still not enough, uh, but there. But we've gone. Uh, we've increased the number of housing uh, student housing beds by about seven or eight thousand over the past fifteen years. And uh, yeah, and that's really really changed just in the the atmosphere in the community. It used to be that that on the weekends and the evenings the city would 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 get would hollow out. Uh, um, and uh, and it was really hard for a lot of local businesses to survive. Now now we still have a challenge that 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 this, a lot of the students leave during the summer, uh, and so we're we're working on bringing also more faculty and staff to live in College Park, so that they can support our local businesses year round. But uh, but it has it it has um, had the effect of making College Park more of a twenty four seven. Uh, community where people not just don't just come to, to learn and then go somewhere else, uh, learn or work and then go somewhere else, but but they but they stay around and make it more of a thriving community uh, all week long. That's very interesting um, to to think seven seven thousand to eight thousand new residential units in a college town of forty thirty four thousand. That's a that's a lot. Um, that's impressive. Yeah. So you know Nevada Reno. Um, has this alliance for Western states and, you know, reciprocal tuition. And so Nevada has never had yeah. a shortage um, pulling from, you know, the students in Northern Nevada and, and a lot of Southern Nevadans come up because, you know, we're a small state and, you know, want to be in a different, you know, out of town environment. Um, and we've met, I've met students who are UC eligible, which University of California eligible, um, but coming here to Nevada, um, is economically as, as equal for them. And, um, you know, so they, so they opt regularly opt over here. So we do attract a fair amount of Californians here. Um, so it's not commuting in from there, but when they get here, we've been tight, I think in our student housing. Now, some of that is, is starting to build and you'll see cranes, um, when you come, um, yeah. next week, but, but, one thing I've seen is the preservation and protection of your business district is so important through land use policy because those 
those business districts and particularly the structures, which are usually older structures and not having to pay real high, you know, retail rents. Um, uh, that's where independent businesses can thrive and do well. And if you, if you divert all of those over to um, residential and it's hard to force ground level residential a lot, lot of times in housing product, um, you're just going to lose out with the business district. Has that been an issue or has it been very clear that you have the business district protected with the zoning that it needs for commercial, for supporting businesses for the student population? Um, sorry, I'm, I'm repeat the question again. It's, yeah. Uh, Do you have a very clear business district that uh, with, with commercial and resident and non-resident, non-residential zoning, yeah, or yeah. are you starting to see encroachment of the residential demand into that, into that business district and displacing we, business structures? Yeah, we've seen, we do, we have seen some of our, of our great, uh, um, commercial districts be redeveloped. Now, what we're trying to do is, is well, what they're being redeveloped as is mixed use. So they're keeping the resident, they're keeping the commercial on the first floor. We're not seeing it, and we're not seeing the the uh, the commercial um, displaced so much as as sort of uh, um, added onto. Uh, one challenge that it has, and one thing we're worrying, um, so we have a lot of development going on in College Park right now. There's six um, student housing developments currently in the works. Uh, we have uh, a bunch more in the pipeline after that. Um, uh, so we're, we're concerned about making sure that the great local businesses that we have now, that they aren't lost. Um, we yeah. did lose some during the pandemic, as I know every community has. Uh, but we're, we, are, we put some relief programs in place. The city put some relief programs in, into place. And we're looking now at how can we help when there are beloved local businesses that uh, um, say there's a, a strip mall, and some of these strip malls are are you know built like they were in the 1970s, 1980s, where there's surface parking out in front, and it's it's just not really not really a great for a growing and increasingly dense um, area, uh, not really the type of of development you would ideally like to see. So so it's it's a or it's appropriate that they be redeveloped and that that they have more of a more of an urban sort of city center feel. But we don't want to lose the. We don't want to displace the the local businesses that we have. So so we're 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 looking at can we other ways that we can support them in, in their transition. And we we um, we work closely together with the the university. Uh, the university has a development arm called the Care from Development Corporation, uh, and um, and developers to make sure that that they do look to to find if they have to, if a if a business has to move time even just temporarily to. To allow for construction of a new building, uh, to 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 allow it uh, to support it and moving to a different place, uh, uh, to help out with the build out, uh, we have some grant programs available for that. So, uh, so we want to work with those businesses on supporting that transition as we as we as we densify and see more so see more of the 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 land uses that are now solely commercial uh, become mixed use um, to bring in. And then there's a whole uh, um, businesses like having more people around. They can, they, they have more of a base. Then. So, so, so they're happy to see the more, the more housing come in, um, but they just need support sometimes in, in, in that transition. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, de- the residential numbers will help, you know, build that um, 
energy to support the businesses. But that's interesting too, that a public university has a, has a um, development arm. I know that's fairly common um, out of need. You know, some universities yeah. have seen uh, deterioration in their setting to such a degree that they need to become big resident, um, you know, development function, you know, market players because the private market is not helping it. Um, you know, the private market is so unhealthy. There's so much disinvestment that they need to up their game into being, um, you know, a private developer that's not necessarily related, although it's complementary to their academic, you know, mission. And some universities, and I don't know if you have this, have like land trusts where they're actually buying housing, you know, in the vicinity to then... Yeah house for faculty and staff. And you had mentioned that that's a desire for your community too. Have you, has a jump, have they jumped into that realm also? So that's in, that's in the works right now. We, we don't have it up and running yet, but the, but the city, we put $3 million from our American Rescue Plan Act funds to work on developing this community preservation trust. And we see that that's a, a, a tool, not just to have more, more, university faculty and staff that are living close to campus. It's also a tool for affordable housing because the community preservation trust will, will maintain the, the, prop, the land that a property is based on um, through it and then provide it as a land lease. So that will help cover the costs uh, for, for uh, uh, new residents that want to move in there to purchase the, the home that'll be provided on a priority basis to lower income uh, uh, residents who want to move to, to move to College Park and uh, and uh, may, you know will live in will live in and and, and will live in the, the place that they own the house that they own. Uh, so we're we see we have a couple of different goals for that. One is neighborhood preservation because we've seen a lot of a lot of conversion from owner occupied properties into rentals. Uh, we understand there's there still is a need, desperate need for 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 student housing. So we we understand. That, uh, that 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 is going to happen and that we need some rental properties in our residential neighborhoods, but we also want to balance. So, um, so it'll help uh, preserve and pr protect some of those, those homes from being converted into rentals. Um, it will also uh, provide an opportunity for wealth building for, for lower income families uh, so that they can purchase a home uh, as the property value of the home goes up with, with uh, new development, new investment in, in College Park. Um, their their the, the amount of wealth that they have will also will also grow up. So there's less uh, risk of displacement and 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 um, the displacement that sometimes comes with gentrification. That's pretty amazing. You know, a lot of times college towns are kind of hands off by the local government in terms of their uh, affordable housing initiatives. It's like, well, that's student stuff there. That's that's student, and to to try and balance that with your other community needs is uh is an interesting one and um and i know i've been having conversations we have a fairly new university president but he's not that new because he was a, a two-time governor um and he's mentioned to me and heard and i've heard of the model too where the university has its own land trust and then they just mm. you know it's a way to bring faculty and administrators you know to be to be there I guess, 12 months out of the year, because they're unlike the students, you know, not on that calendar to the degree that the students are. But um, there's, yeah. I just, I'll tell you, I've worked um, 
in, I worked in Albuquerque. Um, I worked in rural New Mexico in a town, small rural state school town. And then here and just town, uh, college towns and the, you know, um, the relationship to the university are just one of the more interesting uh, land use planning um, components that I've, um, you know, see they're all, they all have some similarities, but then unique, unique features as well. But um, I'd be remiss if I didn't go back to the, um, the planning geek that I am and talk about Maryland because <laughs> it's so well studied. Um, yeah. And I spent time in Chevy Chase um, this fall uh, visiting some friends. So got to see a little bit of your, your state, um, but it's so on the edge yeah. of the district in Virginia, it's hard to you know, sometimes focus where you are. But can you talk a little bit about Maryland <laughs> and your, your state framework for planning? <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's, it's unique. Uh, I, I think, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm not a planner. I'm not an expert mm-hmm. in these things. But, but, but one challenge particularly for us in the planning realm is that we don't have our own planning authority in College Park. Uh, the, the authority lies with Prince George's County, and and it, and it differs. It's different for Prince George's County than it is for much of the state. Uh, so we that that creates some challenges for us. Uh, Prince George's County is a large county. It's about nine hundred thousand people, and um, we're thirty four thousand in that. So we're you know a drop in the, in the Prince George's County bucket. Uh, but uh, but we also drive a lot of the we're a major economic driver. So. So we don't quite have the voting power um, um, that uh, we would like to have, and um, we don't always have the influence that that I think our our economic size uh, merits for us. So uh, so we we do have great uh, a great relationship with our county council members and with our state delegation. They certainly help us to get good things done, but but the but the county doesn't often doesn't always prioritize. Uh, College Park in the way that that we feel they they should, and uh, our our ability to create a strategy when we don't have planning and zoning authority about what what about how zoning how how development should happen within College Park. Uh, like we, for example, you know there are there are areas in College Park that are currently industrial that we think would be a great opportunity to bring in more more residential space, bring in more residents to support some of our local businesses but uh, but the county also lo- looking at the bigger picture recognizes the need for uh, for for industrial job centers um, so um, uh, having an industrial uh, a, a low density industrial area that's focused on like uh, auto repair and things like that near that close to a university and, and right by a metro station doesn't really make a lot of sense uh, um, in the greater scheme of things but the um, but the, the, the county um, there's a shortage. The overall trend in the region is that the, the county, Minnesota's county, doesn't have the high the level of jobs um, that it needs for its population. Uh, College Park does, uh, but the county as a whole does not. So, um, so that makes it challenging for us to um, get the county to look specifically focused on be specifically focused on on College Park rather than the needs of the county as a whole. 
Oh, wow. That's something only my most interested re- listeners would be geeking out on this differentiation, uh, differential of uh, state law. Um, it's really a niche audience, but I will tell you in Nevada, we don't have home rule. It's more yeah. on school matters. So like uh, I can see the gripes that you have on the statutory framework. Um, and I, I, I share that. Um, and I can see how it can relate to city, county, tension, um, certainly in your, your situation with, I don't know if I'd rather be more tightly controlled on fiscal matters or land use matters <laughs> as a city, yeah. I can see neither, but, um, I've actually met more, and maybe this is just my old understanding, but it's probably a component of that, um, is Maryland statewide growth management act. Um, and, and it's it, why it's a re- issue here is, uh, and I won't go into what, um, we do have regional planning here. Um, I don't, I think it's, uh, open question how well it's worked for our region, but we are not primarily land constraint. We are to some degree by federal lands and a state border, but we're swallowing up a lot of land up into hillsides, into floodplain areas. And in Maryland, wasn't there a, um, I guess a governor champion many decades ago who really looked at the state and said, we're going to preserve agriculture land for agricultural purposes? Yeah. And um, there are some restrictions there. Yeah. yeah, There was a um, and I'm not an expert on this by any means, but I, but there were different tiers uh, arranged for what um, uh, uh, what um, and, and it part of it had yeah with had to do with uh, the infrastructure um, that they were investing in in, in agricultural land. They wanted to keep keep sort of the agricultural heritage for a lot of a lot of Maryland's uh, currently agricultural land, which which is is important. I think the for for us in College Park, we've, we've been one reason why we've been focused on on infill development is that there's a lot of sprawl in the DC Metro and, and, and I think to some extent, um, preserving a lot of the agricultural land as much as it, it's, it may be important to do that, uh, preserving agricultural land nearer to the city can be, can be challenging because then you may end up pushing some of the, the other development further out. Uh, so we, we, the, uh, the, uh, Maryland Department of Planning was recently developing a new master plan for the for the state, a new uh, uh, development and growth plan that I, I think they've they've kind of started to take another look at some of those rules in in, in recent years, uh, and and think about what makes more sense to really 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 uh, con- control sprawl, do more infill development, where the population of the DC Metro is growing. Uh, Baltimore is more challenged. They they they're they're still kind of struggling, but the, but the suburbs around Baltimore are, are growing and, and they are trying to find a way to focus that investment on, on smart growth and, and, and infill development that will limit the limit sprawl. Yeah, it's really interesting when you are more dictated by your growth, regional growth is more um, of a regional that crosses state lines. That becomes a very complicated, um, you know, I guess confluence of issues, you know, how one area is growing versus the other and the, the energy and inner ties between one and another. Um, but very fascinating. And um, I've, I'm going to be very interested in your perspectives here. And since you are a bike guy, um, we don't have a bike share. We just rebooted the scooters again. And okay. um, they're ending up in lots of different places, but yeah. <laughs> they are in College Park too. That seems yeah, to be people universal. seem happy on them. This is, this is our second go around. 
So yeah. we, we put a pause on one vendor, said no, and then the under, other vendor tried to come in and they've been in less than a month. They look yeah. much better. Okay. But if you want a bike, I will be out because you're coming this weekend um, before the primary uh, voting day. I will yeah. be out walking in neighborhoods um, outside of the core, and I have a full suspension Yeti with a good lock. I will sh- I will lend to you. So, oh, yes. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> it, and you don't need special. I shoes. Give them yeah. Okay. I don't okay. have special shoes. I just have the little clips because I've given okay. up on the the that intense stuff the Yeti's made for. But if you're, um, I'm five five seven, so if you can, you know, the seat goes up and down. Um, just hit me up. And I will okay. let it to you for the weekend. Uh, easy to get to from downtown. And um, and then you can bike around. And it actually be yeah. free to go for a bike along the river. So Yeah, I appreciate that. I may go. Um, so I'm also a runner. So oh, if okay. you have good recommendations for where I, where I should go running. Oh, yes. I would appreciate those as well. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Definitely. So so great. Well, have a good flight out. And thank you, Mayor thank you. Woyan, for talking Woyan, yeah. to me and telling me about College Park. It's so nice. One community um, college town to another. And um, and we'll we'll talk when you're in Reno. Thanks again. Sounds good. All right. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. See you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening and special thanks to my guest, Mayor Patrick Woyan of College Park, Maryland, recent visitor to Reno. Follow along on Twitter and Instagram for more information. You can also email me at offthedias at gmail.com to make suggestions on topics and guests that you would like to hear from on upcoming episodes. We'll be back later this year with more episodes of Off the Dais. I'm Jenny Breckis. Thank you for listening. Oh,